You're listening to So You Want to Be a Writer, the podcast about the world of writing and publishing. My name's Valerie Koo and I'm your co-host and CEO of the Australian Writer Centre, where you'll find courses, resources and a wonderfully supportive writing community. I usually co-host this podcast each week with the very talented Alison Tate, also known as A.L. Tate, author extraordinaire. Her latest book is The Wolf's Howl, the second instalment in the Maven and Reeve mystery series, and it's available now through libraries, bookstores and online. But today, you're listening to one of our in-between episodes, where Alison is off on her authory adventures, and we listen to a story session, just you, me and our guest author of the week. This story session is brought to you by the book So You Want to Be a Writer, written by both Alison and myself. Do you want to write a novel or earn an income as a freelance writer? We give you the steps you need to make your dream a reality in the book So You Want to Be a Writer. This book lays out a blueprint to help you get started and thrive in the world of words. With advice from over 120 writers, you'll tap into proven wisdom and find the path that will lead you to success. Find out more at writercentre.com.au slash book. That's writercentre.com.au slash book. If you're enjoying this podcast, you may also like the book that we've written together called So You Want to Be a Writer, How to Get Started While You Still Have a Day Job. Full of practical tips, motivation and inspiration, it's ideal for anyone who's thinking of dipping their toes into the wonderful world of writing. We've created a blueprint for aspiring writers to follow and it's suitable regardless of whether you want to plunge straight into this new career or if you need to explore it while you're still busy in your day job. Let us hold your hand as you turn your dream into a reality. Buy your copy today at soyouwanttobeariter.com.au forward slash book. But back to our story session where you'll hear directly from our featured author about their writing life and processes, along with the first chapter of their book. This is so you might be introduced to a new author or even a new genre you've never read before, and you might also get some insight into the writing life of published authors. It's just one of the many ways we love to support our reading and writing community. This week, I've chosen Once Burnt, Twice Shy by Carly Lane. This is the latest novel from Carly, who is a best-selling rural romance sensation. She's the author of the Callahan's of Stringy Bark Creek series, North Star, Morgan's Law, Bridie's Choice, and too many more to mention. Here's the blurb for Once Burnt, Twice Shy. Recently divorced mother of two, Samantha Murphy, agrees to house-sit for her parents for a few weeks. But when the house involves several hundred acres of farming and livestock, it's a little bit more involved than the usual job. Sam left the family farm years ago for a more exciting, glamorous life on the Sunshine Coast. But now that her kids have grown up and moved out, she's at a crossroads. Jack Cameron was in love with Sam when they were teenagers, and she broke his heart when she left town at 18. Their lives moved along similar paths, both marrying, having families, and getting divorced, but in very different locations. Now that Sam is back, they begin to realise that there are unresolved feelings between them. As catastrophic fires roar destructively through the local farming community, Sam has no choice but to evacuate her parents' farm. But worse is still to come. Jack is reported missing and Sam is forced to prepare for the worst news. 
Now, I'm fascinated by the rural romance genre, so I asked Kylie to tell us a bit about it before she reads the first chapter. So here is Carly Lane and Once Burnt, Twice Shy. Hi, I'm Carly Lane and I'm the author of Once Burnt, Twice Shy. Valerie asked me to record the answers to some questions before I narrate the first chapter. So here goes. How would you describe rural romance to someone unfamiliar with the term? Um, I think rural romance, rural fiction, it's basically set in any kind of small community. So I think um, it can cover a, a, a wide variety of topics and subject matter, but I think as long as the setting is in a small community, a small town, that's probably um, what the main difference would be. What do you enjoy most about writing rural romance? I think I like the fact that I can um, highlight what living in country and rural Australia is for people who may not live here. It's um, it's where I've grown up and it's where I live. So writing what you know is sort of one of the rules for, for writing, I guess. So for me, it's a chance to highlight all the different things, all the different places in rural Australia, and they're all very different. That's um, The country isn't just sort of one thing. There's all sorts of different places, and I think they all come with different um, challenges sometimes, and it's really good to be able to to talk about some of the rural issues with um, a wider audience. What's the most challenging thing about writing in this genre? I don't think it's actually the writing or anything itself, but I find the most challenging thing is realising that it's not just about farmers and tractors. I think a lot of readers who may not have read rural fiction before have that, um, I guess, that impression that it's going to be set on a farm and there's going to be a farmer and maybe it's sort of something that's out of their their knowledge circle or something I think um, it's the challenge of getting people to pick up a rural fiction novel and realize that even though it's set in the country and they may not be from the country it's still about people and it's about relationships it's about family um, and it can cover a whole range of different things and it's just I think trying to get it out into the wider readership is one of my personal challenges I find. I would love um, people to pick it up and have a read of one that they may not normally go for rural fiction, you know, as their go-to book. It would be lovely for people to branch out and just have a look and I think they'll be pleasantly surprised. Are heroines in rural romance different to any way to heroines in other romances? Um, I guess rural romance ones won't need to pick up a sword and slay a dragon in a fa- like in a fantasy uh, romance, but I think basically it's still the same storyline. It's still a woman probably with an issue that she needs to deal with or needs a solution. And I guess in mine, I like my women to be um, not necessarily able to take on the world by themselves and do everything but I guess initially find a solution to their problem within themselves so that they're not these helpless maidens waiting to be saved and um, 
and have something miraculous come in to to solve their problem. I think it's working through everyday kind of problems and issues, things that women anywhere have to sort of um, deal with and and just um, realising that they are stronger than they thought so that by the end of the book they are happy that, you know, they've, they've managed to overcome things and, um, and, and be their own hero, I guess. What are your top five tips for writing a successful rural romance novel? Um, I don't know if I've got five, but one of the biggest ones is starting. You've got to start. You know, people often say, oh, I want to write a book one day. I don't have time, I can't fit it in, I'm working. I think like anything in life, if you really want to do something, you find a way to do it and that's sort of where your writing's got to start. Even if it's five or ten minutes here or there, you've got to start doing it and you've just got to write something. And um, a lot of people don't have any experience with writing a book when you first start out, like not everybody's done courses on it. And my advice is just just write it down. It doesn't matter what it's like. Just get everything you want to say on paper and from there you can find help to make it into a book. There's so many opportunities around now. The internet's just opened up everything. You can have online uh, writers groups. There's personal face-to-face writers groups in most you know towns or bigger places you can go to. There's workshops, there's courses, There's so much out there, but if you haven't written something down and started, there's nothing to work with and nothing to learn from. So that's the other big thing. Just whatever it is you're writing, just write it down and then find someone to help you work out how to fix it, I guess. Um, Yeah, you just got to keep writing. If you finish one book, write another one. Don't just stop and, and, um, and think that it's finished like it's over and done with put your book you wrote away for a bit write another one and just keep writing because the more you write the more practice you have the better you get at it like everything go back to the first one when you finish the second one and then look at it and and you'll see things straight away you'll start changing things you'll start deleting things and adding more and that's just that process your brain takes a little rest and you go back and because it's already down on paper, you can work with it. And that's sort of how I work. I usually have about three things on the go. And um, if I get stuck with something, I put it aside, I come back and usually I can figure out where it's gone wrong and what I've got to do. So just keep writing. That's the biggest, most important one, I guess, other than write it down in the first place. Just um, keep going and and join writing groups and find like-minded people who can help you because it's a lovely community and there's always people willing to help and, um, yeah, just find other people who are going to help you. Samantha Murphy pushed the last bale of hay off the back of the ute. She wiped a hand across her sweaty forehead as she watched the cattle jostle for position around the fodder on the dry brown earth below. She was hot and uncomfortable with her shirt sticking to her back. Her clothes were filthy and she was pretty sure she had bits of hay in a ponytail which had been neatly pulled back this morning but now resembled a rat's nest. If she'd seen herself like this at any other time, she would have been horrified. Two weeks ago, she left the Sunshine Coast in Queensland and returned to her parents' property in the farming belt of the mid-north coast of New South Wales. Gone were the long lunches with friends, the salon treatments and the beachwear, replaced by jeans, boots and her dad's floppy old Akubra. She grinned a little at the thought of her 15-year-old self even contemplating wearing her father's hat. She would have burnt to a crisp before putting the sweet, sweat-stained relic on her head. 
Her 40, call us at a 50-year-old self, though, was far more terrified of sun damage and wrinkles than what she looked like or what she might catch from wearing it. The bright, fashionable beach fedora she'd left hanging on her hallway hat rack wouldn't have lasted a day here even if she had remembered to pack it. Not that this was a holiday. She was supposed to be house-sitting while her parents were away on a round-the-world trip they'd been planning for three long years. But considering their house included a couple hundred acres of farmland and livestock, the job was a little more involved than watering house plants and feeding the odd cat. Sam had expected it to be a bit of a culture shock coming home and doing so much physical outdoor work after so many years away, but somehow it felt familiar. It really shouldn't. She wasn't the farming type, hadn't been since she was old enough to leave school, and yet so much of what she was doing made her feel as if she'd been thrown back in time. It was second nature, or maybe she'd become better at adapting. She'd had a lot of experience with that over the past few years. Her divorce had been unexpected and painful, but it had given her a new path to follow. She'd finally found the courage to follow a long-held dream to open her own homeware shop, It had been the most exciting, scary and worthwhile decision she'd ever made. She'd never imagined she could turn her passion for home decorating into something she could make a decent living from or that she'd actually be any good at it. She'd loved scouring for the perfect pieces for a store and soon carved out a niche for herself that had taken her from a small pokey shop in a back street to a prominent shop front in the high-end tourist neighbourhood among some of the biggest names in fashion and business. Sam jumped down from the back of the ute, moving gingerly through the herd of her father's prized black Angus cattle. They chewed their feed noisily, making low mooing sounds as they jockeyed for prime position around the bales of hay she'd thrown out. She climbed into the driver's seat with a sense of satisfaction. She'd been thinking about the cold beer in a fridge since lunchtime and now, after finishing all but one of her chores, she'd finally be able to sit and enjoy it. Her muscles ached and she'd given up thinking it would get any better after a few days. She was coming to the uncomfortable conclusion that the muscles she had as a woman in her late 40s were not as adaptable as they'd been as a teenager when she was last done this. She stopped the ute in front of the gate and pulled on the handbrake. The downside to driving alone on a farm was the gates. As kids, the jobs had fallen to her and her brothers, Thomas and Alex, as the passengers for their dad. They'd grumbled about it back then, and it wasn't any more fun now. As she drove through, then closed the gate behind her, she took a moment to look across the paddocks and let out a small sigh. It was so dry. As a rule, the coast was greener than inland Australia, but the drought that had continued its stranglehold for two years hadn't spared the coastal areas. Sam, like the rest of the country, had watched as feed dried up and dams evaporated, leaving livestock to fade away in paddocks and crops to die in the fields. The whole country was praying for rain and yet it hadn't come and there's no sign that it would. The Murphy property was a small family farm, but the effects of the dry were starting to show here too. Sam had noticed it the last time she'd been home for a visit, The usually lush green grass was faded and the trees looked wilted, but this time it was blindingly obvious that things had got worse. What little was left of the grass was brown, the dams were almost dry and her parents, like most of their neighbours, were almost totally dependent on hand-feeding livestock. Sam pushed away from the gate and climbed back into the ute. She drove along the dirt track through the paddock, worn by years of cattle and wheels, and followed the road as it wound its way across the lower flats through a gully between two hills. This was the place that always brought back a sharp, happy memory. It was at this spot on her property that Honey, her very first pony, would always pick up speed as she caught the first sight of home on a ride. Sam would have to hold on tight and be ready as a little golden palomino lurched from a docile walk to a full gallop in the blink of an eye. As she drove out of the gully, Sam saw the house further up the hill and smiled. It wasn't grand, just a three-bedroom fibro and brick farmhouse with a veranda, but it was home. 
No matter how many years passed, this little house would always hold the memories of her childhood and family within its walls. Now that she was a grown woman with children of her own, she could appreciate just how special her childhood had been. As a teenager, she'd taken this place for granted, been impatient to leave. She'd wanted excitement and adventure, but as an adult, she enjoyed the simple beauty in a slower pace. Sam hung her dad's hat on the peg inside the back door and kicked off her boots. It was strange coming into the kitchen and finding it so quiet. Usually her mother was in here cooking or on the phone to someone about one committee or another. Now it was silent except for the echoing tick of the wall clock and the soft hum of the fridge. Washing her hands and taking out the beer, Sam went outside and sank into one of the rustic old cane chairs that had been part of the veranda furniture for as long as Sam could remember. They were deep with the perfect armrest height and had recently undergone a a facelift with a new coat of white paint and some brightly coloured pink, green and blue striped fabric. She released a long breath as she put up her feet on the chair across from her and leaned back. Her father, if her father were here right now, he would tease her. She'd barely done half of what he did every day around the place and she was exhausted. Well, she'd never claimed to be a farmer. Up until a month ago, she'd been a boutique home store homeware store owner, a far cry from pushing bales of hay off the back of a dilapidated old ute. There'd been a few significant changes in Sam's life recently, the business, the marriage, and here she was, a recently divorced mother of two almost grown children. She frowned at the thought. She had a 21-year-old daughter, for goodness sake. How was that even possible? It didn't feel like that long ago that Mackenzie had sat here unwrapping Christmas presents when she was three and Brooklyn was just a baby. Now Brooke was 19 and both girls had moved out of home and were living their own lives. There was no denying it. Sam felt old. As she stared out into the distance, the sound of the dogs barking was suddenly followed by a commotion of loud screeching. Bloody guinea fowl! Her mother's latest pride and joy, and Sam had forgotten to lock the stupid things away. She jumped to her feet, hopping around as she struggled to pull her boots back on. Guinea fowl had become something of a hobby for her mother in the recent years and Sam was still trying to figure out what her mum found so endearing about them. To Sam, they seemed to be the love child of a drunken knight between a turkey and a vulture. They were the ugliest and least intelligent creatures she'd ever come across. Chooks she loved. They laid eggs. They clucked about in a soothing, calm manner and they were quite therapeutic to sit and watch from the veranda throughout the day. Guinea fowl, on the other hand were like a swarm of mindless imbeciles who would launch into a panic at the slightest movement and run frantically in a crisis, seemingly forgetting they could actually fly. Her mother's argument for their usefulness around the place had been that they were great at eating pests, including ticks, and helped keep snakes away. Her father had to be getting soft in his old age because she hadn't heard him question how effective the fowl were in either department since their arrival, and keeping the working dogs away from them was a round-the-clock security issue. Sam had lost track of how many replacement fowl her mother had bought due to dog misadventure. Tess, Max, she yelled, calling the dogs out of the chook pen where they were running about excitedly chasing their feathered foe. Sam could see see why the dogs enjoyed a good chase. Guinea fowl was so loud and mindless they were practically begging to be pursued, though with a kelpie and a blue heeler, the end result was never a good outcome for the guinea fowl. Reluctantly, the two dogs moved away from their game and Sam herded them out the gate with a stern reprimand and a curse as she realised now she had to track the birds down that were scattered around the huge chookyard. If she didn't track them, tuck them safely into their coop, they would be likely taken by a fox. It was no mean feat when the twelve little creatures were hiding in a variety of places up in trees and behind low bushes. Bad dogs, she growled at the two animals sitting hopefully on the other side of the gate, waiting for an opportunity to come back in and play. 
With a resigned sigh, she headed for the feed shed to find some food to lure the birds back into their coop. She was tempted just to leave them out, but then the thought of how disappointed her mother would be when she returned home to find her little flock gone changed her mind. Here, guinea, 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 Sam called, walking around, tossing out grain. She put a small trail of feed at the doorstep of the coop, feeling like wily coyote for her efforts. All she needed now was a wooden signpost with an arrow on it saying, this way. After 20 or so minutes, the fowl began to call out and emerge from all parts of the yard and trees, regrouping and slowly making their way back to their nightly abode. At least they were good at remembering a routine, Sam grudgingly admitted, although usually they would put themselves to bed and all she was supposed to do was shut the door for them each afternoon and open it in the morning, unless, of course, a pair of dogs decide to come along and mess up the routine. Patiently, far more patiently than she thought she was capable of, Sam waited and watched as a guinea fowl pecked and scratched at the feed trail and eventually moved inside the coop. Two, four, five, seven, nine, ten, eleven, she counted out loud and frowned. There were supposed to be twelve. She did a quick recount and still came up with eleven. Where was number twelve? She scoured the area, praying the dogs hadn't got hold of them before she intervened, but found no pile of feathers or evidence of a body. At least it's not dead, she thought, before looking into the big gum tree in the centre of the yard. Bugger. She muttered. Wow, I love it. As Carly said, rural romance is not just about tractors and farms, although obviously that too. Like all good fiction, it's about people facing challenges and how they resolve them. We spoke to Carly back in episode 136 of this podcast where she told us how she started out publishing. That's 18 novels ago and it's a really fascinating story. As she said in her tips, just start. If you don't start, you can't go anywhere and then just keep going. And there's no better place to start than with our course in romance writing. This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre, a world leader in writing courses. If you're a fan of romantic fiction and would love to write stories in this hugely popular market, our self-paced course in romance writing will be your perfect match. Romance is the biggest selling genre in fiction and many may think it's easy to write, but a good romance novel is much more than a love story. In fact, more than any other genre, there are crucial structural beats your story must hit to truly captivate your readers and have them coming back for more. This online course is your ultimate guide to writing romance novels that sell. Discover everything you need to know from the key tropes, conventions and reader expectations to the variety of subgenres and publishing options available. You'll cover how to craft a tightly structured story, one that's filled with believable characters and intimacy, as well as the right level of heat for your book category. Most importantly, you'll learn the techniques to ensure a satisfying climax every time. And because this is one of our online self-paced courses, you'll enjoy instant access and can learn at your own pace with 12 months access to all course materials. You can find out more at writerscentre.com.au slash romance. Thanks for listening to this special episode of So You Want to Be a Writer. You'll find more details about the podcast and a wealth of writing resources and courses at writerscentre.com.au. This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre. Connect with us on social media at writerscentreau, on Twitter and Instagram, and join our free podcast listener community on Facebook. Just search for So You Want to Be a Writer podcast community and request to join. 
Both Alison and I will be back to our regular programming in your next episode. Thanks for listening, and I look forward to chatting to you again next time.